Hello and welcome to Babelfish, the podcast where humanists, freethinkers and atheists share their life stories. The podcast where non-believers from all over the world share the challenges and the risks they face. You can support Babelfish by becoming a patron. Do it on patreon.com or the Danish equivalent tenor.dk. You'll find the links in the episode description. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Due to security issues, it's not always possible to visit a country. That's why today's episode is recorded through Skype. Sometimes the connection breaks up. Sorry for the inconvenience. This interview is done by uh, via Skype, and this is the first time I've done it. So I hope I hope the the quality of the uh, the podcast will be okay. Um, okay. I'm talking to Leo from Nigeria uh, because I haven't been able to travel to Nigeria um, at this moment. So Leo, maybe you can tell me who you are and your background. Okay. Um, yes. Um, my name is Leo Iwe. I am from southeastern Nigeria. Um, I was born shortly after the Nigerian Civil War. Uh, Nigeria had a civil war between 1967 and 1970. I was born uh, July 1970. And uh, I grew up in, um, in a village. Uh, I spent the first uh, um, 12 years of my life living in the village. I attended a village primary school. And uh, I was an altar boy, and I was helping priests uh, in a local Catholic church. And from there, I enrolled um, in the seminary, and I studied in the seminary for about uh, 12 years again. Uh, I, was, I, was, I also taught within this period. I taught also in the seminary. Uh, so originally, I was trained to uh, be a priest. Uh, but in the course of the training, I think I started thinking for myself. I started questioning many religious beliefs, and I was not convinced of the teachings of religion. So I left the seminary training, and that was in 1994. And, and um, I then later started the Nigerian Humanist Movement. That was in 1996. And ever since then, I've been very active in the, in the humanist movement locally, regionally, and internationally. Uh, and I've worked, um, I worked for some time for, for that International Humanist and Ethical Union, now the Humanist International. And also I was the board member of um, ADS Alliance International and uh, other um, uh, humanist um, and free thought groups. Yeah, yeah, so that's brief about my background. Okay. And what, what happened? Because that's a short time frame from 94, where you left the seminar, until 96, where you formed the humanist organization. What, uh, yes. how, what happened? <laughs> yeah, what happened was that actually while I was going through the seminary training, um, uh, that was when I started having doubts about the teachings of religion. So... The, that time frame was short because apparently I made I made up my mind, or I I was I was skeptical of religion, and uh, so when I left the seminary, 
I, there was no other kind of um, philosophical group I could identify with um, except the humanist free thought skeptical groups. So because while I was in the seminary, they were teaching us about, of course, Christianity and Christian religious beliefs. And in my community, people also believed in traditional ideas about life. There was this belief in witchcraft. People also had to believe in what they call rituals, ritual killing, mm -hmm. and the, the fact that people could make money using human body parts. So there was a whole lot of confused, contradictory teachings of religion. So I found the, uh, the humanist movement as a, a sane, rational alternative to the confusion caused by religion, uh, both um, traditional and Christian religious uh, belief system. Okay. So, and so the, the humanist organization was formed in 96. So it's, it's, it must be one of the eldest in Africa or? Yes, it, yes, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of the oldest, if, if one says, but there have been attempts. There have been attempts to start uh, humanist organizations, but uh, sometimes they fizzle out after a couple of years. Um, there were actually, I read about um, the Humanist Association uh, that, um, that was started, I think, sometime in the, in the 60s uh, with the support of the American Humanist Association, but I don't think that that organization survived. So there were earlier attempts, previous attempts. And uh, okay. one of the reasons why I have continued to persevere is that the attempts in the past have failed. And I'm trying to see that uh, the one we made this time at the humanist, Nigerian humanist movement does not fail. Okay, yeah. And, and how did you, what did you do when you started the organization? How, how many people were you back then? Um, by the time I started, I, I, we were just maybe about 10 of us. There were um, a few um, interested students and lecturers at the University of uh, Ibadan. There were also a few other contacts in, the, in different uh, uh, states and provinces. So we were about 10 active people. Uh, working and meeting and corresponding, but we were not just like an association per se, we are just like contacts here and there, mm -hmm. and we were meeting occasionally. So, but I felt like um, uh, turning those contacts now into a strong association, and that's what we have been doing ever since. Okay, and, and what have you been been doing to grow the organization and and become a voice for humanists? Yeah, one of the things we've been doing is actually um, using campaigns like campaign against witchcraft accusation, campaign against ritual killing, to make a case for a more rationalistic society. We've uh, been very active and at the forefront of campaigns against superstition, religious fundamentalism, and, and the bigotry. We have also campaigned for the separation of church, mosque, and state, and we've campaigned for a more secular society because our, our, uh, our society, that's the Nigerian society, has been characterized by um, religious bloodletting and extremism. So we've been making a case for a, mm. a more secular Nigerian society. Okay. 
So, and your constitution is that a secular constitution or like most African constitutions uh, based on human rights, or is it different? Well, there is a is a is a is a little bit complex. There is a provision in our constitution that says that no part of the federation or no part of the Nigerian state should adopt any religion as state religion. So this was the farthest our constitution went in trying to maintain what you can call a secular character. But at the same time, the, the same constitution recognizes, in quote, Sharia law at the personal level. So oh. but what happens uh, later on is that the, the, some politicians in the north of the country expanded the personal level in terms of Sharia law, they now turned it into criminal, um, they, they now expanded it to include criminal behavior. So we have that contradiction in our constitution, uh, which has not helped in our campaign for a more secular society and a more secular government. Mm. Yeah, because there are some issues in Nigeria now. That's why one of the reasons, because I'm not traveling, because... Uh, there are security issues, right, uh, in different parts of the country. And my foreign minister is advising against any travel to Nigeria. I'm not sure that everybody knows what's going on in the different parts of Nigeria. Maybe you can say a bit about that. Uh, well, what happens is that... Um, um, in Nigeria, uh, the southern part is dominantly Christian, and it is also in the southern part that we. So, and um, and this issue in terms of religion and in terms of resource, uh, they have uh, these two issues have been sources of conflict and tension. Um, yeah. On the on the on, on one hand, the oil in the south has led to a lot of conflict in what is called the Niger Delta, and that has led to kidnapping of um, foreigners and also locals. So it has been, it has uh, led to security problems and challenges in the South. Also, we have a religious dimension to, to the conflict and insecurity in Nigeria. And at the forefront of this, uh, we have um, what they call the Boko Haram, um, Boko Haram conflicts. And these are a group of Muslim fanatics that have been fighting to implement Sharia law. And uh, recently, this problem ha has gotten more complicated. We now have also what they call the Fulani headsmen. And many people suspect that this is also another form of um, um, extremists, but who are operating as ethnic militants. So the security situation has been complicated as a result of um, the economic challenges and coupled with the ethnic and religious extremism that has been feeding uh, from the uh, discontent amongst the people due to bad governance, due to poverty and social inequality. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's in different parts of the country based on, and it's different reasons for the security issues depending yes. on where you are. Yeah. So that it sounds yeah. really complex. And how do you how do you navigate in this? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's, yeah, it is really a, a huge challenge, and that is why there is a problem. The problem here is that sometimes it's difficult to know when when the insecurity is strictly as a result of ethnic, religious, or economic issues. They are all tied together. 
So, mm -hmm. but what we try to do is we try to, we, we try to, as much as we can, to create safe, self spaces for ourselves whenever we meet. Of course, it, it can never be, in quote, totally safe for us to organize. Anytime we're organizing, there's always this suspicion. Even in our local WhatsApp group, there is um, suspicion there that some of their members are sometimes religious spies who come oh. in and who claim to be humanists. So sometimes we don't actually take very serious decisions at that level because there have been accusations and allegations that some of the religious um, groups have infiltrated uh, our group. So, so it is a very big challenge. But what happens is that um, um, we think that you know we have just one life to live and we also have to do our best in this life. So we are making efforts in spite of the insecurities, in spite of the risk involved, to see what we can do to make a case for a more rational and secular society. It is challenging, it is difficult, but we think it is necessary. Yeah, so you, so you, so you participate in the public debate anyway? Yes, we do. We do. But of course, with a lot of concerns um, in terms of security and uh, a lot of worries from so many people, like now, we have not been able to hold any humanist event up north because of issues. And when we try to do it, it must be one security concern, one um, people might be worried about who is coming and why the people are coming. So we just try to engage in public debates despite you know, the security implications and the risks mm -hmm. involved in doing so. Okay, yeah, because uh, I guess it's, it, it must be very difficult, especially if there's suspicions of infiltration. Have you has there been any cases yet? Or is it just you're suspecting something? Yeah, the, the fact there is that, you see, whenever we are holding events, sometimes some people um, want to t take part in our events. And meanwhile, they have no history of participating in our events. They, have, they, don't, they are not registered people. So, and again, we, we get caught up sometimes in between um, worrying about our safety and also trying to create a space for people who are in the closet and who needed to a community like our own. So it has always been at the level of suspicion because of the fact that we are so limited in our ability to really know who is who uh, in terms mm -hmm. of what is the reason why people are coming to our events and uh, whether they are spying for the government. So it is still at the level of suspicion and a lot of people push back. They, they withdraw immediately. There is idea that some people might let them out or might um, implicate them as people who are non-religious. And especially this concern uh, is worse amongst ex-Muslims, you know, because under Sharia law, which is being enforced in the North, uh, apostasy, if you leave religion, if you renounce Islam, it is death. So mm. many of them are so worried about not just their safety, but about their own lives, because if they inform them, they could be killed. The security situation in Nigeria has been is worsening, right? Yes, I must tell you, it's worsening. It's worsening because it's taking so many dimensions. Mm. Like um, in the past, we were we were confronting what they call the Boko Haram in the north, but today we are confronting another militant um, movement also. 
um, that we call them the Fulani headsmen, and um, they are all of um, the militant trends in the north. So if it's, it's worsening and it is worrying, and the governments in the north are too afraid to come out, and even our own president is afraid to come out and really tackle and convert this movement because of fear of backlash, mm. that maybe people who might even be supporters of the government might actually have sympathies for these extremist groups. So even the government itself is treading softly because of the fact that um, they think that some of these movements are so powerful and um, could actually uh, take more militant measures if they are confronted. So it is a challenge to the Nigerian government and, of course, um, worse for the Nigerian citizens because mm. um, many people actually do not know how these operate. Yeah, and it's difficult to see an end to it and a, and a peaceful solution, right? Uh, in the past, the government has said that some, even some people who are in the security, the security, the government security uh, personnel, that some of them are agents and sympathizers, um, uh, sympathizers uh, are sympathetic to these groups. So it is difficult to track them. That is why it is also difficult to see an end to what they are doing. So it is yeah. a complicated situation. And um, a lot of people are worried that the situation might worsen. And in the middle of this, then there's you humanists caught in in between. I guess is is uh, non-believers considered uh, stigmatized, no matter whether people are Christian or Muslims or. In the south, um, non-believers are persecuted. They are stigmatized, and mm. uh, many families will denounce denounce. Yeah, family members who come out openly to uh, as openly as a non-believer. Mm. Yes, and people don't like actually people coming out openly and publicly to criticize or to reject it. So in the south, if you come out as a non-believer and you are quiet, you are calm, you go about your business, or you try not to openly and publicly identify yourself, you are safer. So that's where the challenge comes in the, in, the, in, the, in the southern part. But in the north, it is more dangerous because if you speak, if you make expressions that are critical of religion, they say it is blasphemy. And with that, they can sentence you, they can kill you, or the mob can actually kill you. You don't need to be arrested. And if you also leave Islam, they say that you cannot renounce Islam. If you are a Muslim, you are a Muslim forever. So if you mm. renounce Islam, it's easy. So... This is the situation we find ourselves. So what we are trying to do is to use all the necessary resources we have, the international movement, international human rights system, and um, the humanist movement, the free movement. We try to see how we can rally resources to help us raise and help raise the profile of non-belief so that it could start gaining respect. And people should stop seeing non-believers as those to be killed, but instead those to be respected. And they should give them a space at the table. That's what we are struggling at the moment. And it is a whole lot of a struggle for us. But we are making progress. That's what I could say. We are making progress compared to uh, when we started in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, and you've been at it for many years because that's, that's a long time struggling with these issues. I could imagine. 
how 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 many are you now? Do you think? Um, uh, we are not only uh, dealing with an organization with maybe a few thousand of us across the country. We are dealing with the non-religious constituency, including those of them who identify with us, who visit our website. Sometimes they join us on Facebook, but they cannot come out openly. So what we are trying to do is to represent the non-religious constituency in Nigeria, but they mm -hmm. are afraid. And, and have, you tr have you experienced any backlash? There are, there are many challenges, of course. Of course, you get mm. emails, emails, and uh, sometimes they call you on phone, of course, threatening you and issuing all sorts of threats. But, um, for instance, um, there was, um, where do I start now? At my, at my family level, I come from a Christian some In my own family, we have um, Pentecostal members of the family. They are not happy with it, and they think that, and hope that the movement will die, you know, at the end of the day, and that nothing comes out of it. Sometimes when it comes to family support and family um, interaction, sometimes they try to ostracize you at that level uh, when it comes to family dealings. But I have mm -hmm. never faced any threat from my family members in terms of my life and all that. There have been times, there was a time when I was, um, I wanted to go and cover, a, a, they were demonstrating in support of Sharia law, and I went to record and cover it and uh, I got they just beat me up and took my camera and um, and were trying to kill me but um, that was many years ago when they were trying to bring Sharia law or your state where is where I live uh, and also I have organized um, an event in uh, Calabar uh, in support of um, uh, children you know who have been abused and against the witch hunters Pentecostal pastors and the owner of the church and, and their members, they mobilized and beat me up at, um, at the event. Um, so I mean, sometimes people sending emails, they call me um, an Islamophobe. So uh, there have been actually, you know, sometimes when you go to meetings, people now come around you to identify you and ask, are you this or so person? So, and, and sometimes they confront you personally or they call you on phone. Uh, but outside that, I don't think that outside what I have narrated now, I don't think that um, I've actually uh, come under any other physical assault. The, the more you, you grow in terms of your profile, I think that sometimes people are very slow to uh, attacking you. So uh, one way I try to also see that I limit the risk is to keep raising my <laughs> voice loud enough, you know, so that um, yeah. people, people find it difficult to target me. Yeah, that is the much I can do myself um, within the situation. So I'm trying to get much support, international support, so that they know that, oh yeah, accept that man. You know, they try to, um, they may not want to target you because they think you are so much out there. So that is my own strategy. I don't know whether it will work or fail me one day, but that's how I try to navigate uh, the situation okay. in spite of. Yeah, and most people would say, well, that's, that's brave of you because I think most people would stop if they were beaten up and then they're thinking, okay, <clears throat> Do I, do I want to continue doing this? But you, you have continued. What, what keeps you going with the, this work? Well, well uh, that is an interesting question. I must tell you what keeps me going. What keeps me going is because it is my environment. And I know the damage that the, the, the religious extremism is causing in my environment. And you know, you know what? You know, people are dying every day. Boko Haram, Fulani headsmen, they are killing people as, as even as we are speaking here. Mm. If you follow Nigerian history, so I am just one Nigerian. My just one life out of 
tens of thousands. Go and read. A lot of people who have been killed. A, a woman, a Christian preacher, was just going about her business in Abuja, and she was murdered. Another woman made a remark about Islam in Kano, and she was murdered right away. So and the fact there is that um, I know that my society has really gone the wrong path. I feel like it is my, uh, my own mission to see what I can do to get my society to change direction. This is what I will do. Even if at the end of the day, I have to pay a price for it of what I will do. Despite the risk, I feel that like I, I take it as a northern star and I continue to guide me despite the challenges. And I hope, again, that there could be, we could eventually have such a society and maybe at the end of the day, it will be said that, oh yeah, with what the humanist movement did, with what Leo and others did, we were able to do this and we were able to maybe have less extremism and more rationalism less um, uh, uh, fundamentalism. But this is what I would like to uh, leave behind, and uh, that keeps me moving. And I, I think it's brave, you know, because I come from a peaceful country. We've never... We, uh, we hardly remember the Second World War. So uh, your, <laughs> the conditions you live... Your conditions yeah. you live under is so much different from where I come from. Um, um, so that's why I also think it's important to... Uh, to to hear what's going on in other countries because it's uh, there's a lot of challenges everywhere, um, yeah. especially for non-believers. Seems like it might be getting worse in Nigeria, but you still yeah. you're still positive that changes will come yes, yes. in the right yeah. direction. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I am positive because I don't see any future in a society here. Religious extremism is what is driving the society or what is, uh, what is directing the society. I don't see any future for that society. I think that um, at the end of the day, uh, the changes in the world, as we are saying it, will eventually, I don't know when it will happen. It may not happen in my generation, but I think it will eventually yield to reason. It is only those who call for tolerance. There's no future in a world where people are killed because they said something critical of Mohammed. No, there's no future in the world like that. Mm -hmm. A future in a world where people are killed because they profess another religion, or they came openly and said, I don't believe in this God, or I don't belong to any religion. There is no future there. And that is why I will continue to work and mobilize and organize along this line and continue to support and be part of any movement that identify with these ideas. Yeah, and you've also been involved in international work, right? Especially also yes. Western, West Africa and Humanist yeah. International. Um, yeah. And yeah. It's, been, uh, it's been growing. There's a lot of more member organizations. There are yeah. a lot of more countries that are joining Humanist International. Yeah. Is that, does that also influence, or can say, that that there's an international movement, does that affect also the, each country, do you think? I got involved in the international humanist movement because it is one of the, one of the challenges many free thinkers, many atheists or non-believers in Africa, one of the challenges they face is that they feel that alone. They don't yeah. have that sense of community. So they actually, if I should say, my, my main goal associating with the humanist international is mainly because I could leverage on the international humanism to see how I can grow the local efforts and, and, um, and the local movement. So 
It might interest you to know that we, the, an event is being planned in Zambia. And this is the first time they are having that very scale of meeting in the history mm. of Zambia. And, all that. Yeah. and there's a lot of interest already along that line. So it is, it is, the, some of these meetings are possible because we have an international, international humanist um, movement going on. So it, the international movement can help us a lot because we can tap into their resources to raise our voice. I think that both can work together. The local mm. groups can leverage on the international organizations. The international organizations could also expand and become more powerful and more global by also connecting with local efforts taking place in the different countries. The more countries and more organizations that are members international, the more the international organization can be a voice towards the UN and uh, it carries more weight, I guess, yes. uh, at the international level. Yeah, and yeah. that's also my impression that the, what what I've seen talking to people in different countries is they feel alone. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's also part of what why I collect interviews is uh, is to give access online so people don't feel alone if they are non-believers somewhere in the world that they can actually get a sense of the global community. Yeah, actually, the internet has been very, very useful, you know, in helping uh, many um, humanists or non-believers to connect and to go open and to leave the closet. So the internet has been very, very, in fact, without it, it would have been extremely difficult and uh, uh, risky to do a lot of that we are doing today. We won't be, we won't be mm. able to organize all we're organizing today. The internet has been very, very useful. Yeah, yeah. it is. And it will... And we need to to continue to use it and maybe find other ways as well uh, in the future. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, and even in terms of um, uh, making us a more effective global organization, I think the internet is also useful. And it's also important that um, uh, those who, who live in countries where non-believers feel very safe, they also understand that they should they have some obligation. I'm not saying it's their direct responsibility, and I'm not making a case for that, but that I think that they also have a, an obligation to help also support those who live in countries where they are facing serious risk and challenges, like in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, and yeah. um, of course in Nigeria, and a couple of other countries where it is still very, very dangerous to come out as an atheist or as an unbeliever. But uh, thank you for this. I hope I can visit Nigeria one day when it's more... The security yeah. situation I mean, is then, not so. Man, uh, I, I used to meet a lot of friends when I come to meet, meetings, and uh, sometimes they ask me, "Okay, Leo, when I when will you when will I visit Nigeria?" I said, "Okay, wait for some time." And you know, when I say <laughs> wait, the time we meet again, the situation is worse than it yeah. was when they I wait. So it, it it kept getting worse now. And when people tell me now, I don't know what to say again because I can't I can't tell them to wait because I don't know whether it's gonna get better or it's gonna get worse. So no, <laughs> yeah. But we can we, we can we yeah we can them. only hope that it will be it will be soon, right? But yeah, you never yeah. know. Mm. Yeah, and and again, what I also do is sometimes. Like in this case now, one of the reasons why I'm trying to form the local network, like West African network, is that if we can't hold it, a program in um, in Nigeria, we can hold it in Ghana and get Nigerians yeah. to go to Ghana. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so what I'm saying is that 
you can, if you are not able to visit us in, in Nigeria, maybe we can make it possible Nigerians will visit you in Ghana. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I hope I'll yeah. see you or at least see you then to some of the other conferences. I hope yeah. to be in Miami, Miami next year. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can support Babelfish by becoming a patron. You can also follow Babelfish on Facebook and on Instagram. You'll find the links in the episode description. Until next time, be a happy human.